0: Dr. Henderson, are you living your dream? Is being an orthopedic surgeon exactly what you wanted to do? It certainly is. The data really gets your attention. Dr. Shasta Henderson is among the 125 black women who are orthopedic trauma surgeons in the United States. She took a break during a busy day of seeing patients to humbly talk about being an inspiration to others and what inspires her.
1: I grew up in a household that had, I like to say is a healthcare household because my my father was a gastroenterologist and my mom um, ran federally qualified health centers in Los Angeles. And so at an early age, I was always in the operating room or in the endo suite or, or making rounds with my dad on the weekend and exposed to it from uh, kind of an administrative side for my mom. And so I think around five, they tell me I said that I wanted to be a doctor, and, and over time, kind of narrowed in and focused on orthopedics. Um, I certainly do live my dream every day, getting to uh, take care of a vulnerable population and their time of need, um, and just being able to kind of execute my craft. So I'm having a great time.
0: What did you see in your neighborhood growing up? You certainly described what you saw in your household, but around you, what else did you see and what exposure did you have to the field of medicine and healthcare?
1: That's a great question. I grew up in uh, Los Angeles, California um, in a uh, divorced household um, and uh, that presented some obvious um, kind of difficulties and and challenges um, but uh, I kind of grew up in two different neighborhoods. Um, My mother uh, lived in a neighborhood that was uh, predominantly African-American with uh, nurses and doctors and lawyers um, and uh, amongst us in an area of Los Angeles called uh, Baldwin Hills, uh, Ladera Heights. Um, and My dad uh, lived in an area called Santa Monica. Um, there certainly was uh, a unique experience kind of living in that duality, um, but it enriched me as a a young child and and provided me with the encouragement to continue to pursue my dreams and know that you know impossible is is nothing and and that anything that I I wanted to aspire to I could definitely
0: achieve. Did you experience challenges?
1: Certainly. uh, You present yourself and you find yourself in situations where you may be the only um, or where you may be the first of someone that looks like you, maybe in school room or schoolhouse or maybe in a certain classroom or or perhaps at a certain facility working Um, and so that presents challenges um, in terms of what someone expects of you or and what you believe to be yourself in terms of qualifications uh, a a readiness for the job Um, and that certainly has occurred to me at at numerous steps throughout this education process and now into working But I think that you can always um, look at a challenge and think about how arduous it's going to be and and how tough to climb to the top of the mountain is, is. or you can think about what's on the other side of the horizon and um, the fact that now that you've accomplished it, um, there will be others to follow behind you.
0: I imagine some of those challenges happened in college. College certainly an experience that shapes who many of us ultimately become for those of us who are afforded an opportunity to go to college. Can you tell me about your college experience, where you went to college?
1: I went to uh, college at uh, Barnard College of Columbia University. Um, I had the fortunate and, uh, the opportunity to uh, play basketball during my four years there, which certainly colored a lot of my experience um it provided me with uh discipline cuz cuz there were time constraints um of an ivy league a- academic schedule as well as a uh, you know a division 1 uh, basketball schedule um that i had to balance um it also gave me an immediate family which was comforting that I uh, since i was 3000 miles away um But it also presented interesting challenges as as, uh, Columbia uh, was historically all-male college. Um, When I was there, I I distinctly remember during my freshman year, there uh, wasn't a fully established um, Department of African American Studies um, and they hadn't received um, the same recognition as other uh, departments within the university. Um, And so I can distinctly recall um, us petitioning um, for that, and uh, hitting holding some sit-ins and some protests to ensure that that, that occurred. Um, so that's one of the things that I can I can uh, definitely remember about my college experiment experience and and think it uh, was formative.
0: And what about medical school, Dr. Henderson? Where did you go?
1: I went to medical school at Wake Forest. Uh, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, coming from New York City to Winston-Salem, North Carolina certainly was an eye-opening experience. Um, from the probably the busiest city in the country to uh, certainly a small kind of tobacco town. Um, but Wake Forest was wonderful and it provided me with a, a great foundation.
0: And there certainly is a big push and effort uh, worldwide to encourage students to enter the field of STEM education, science, technology, engineering and math, Um, were there people in your life who supported your interest in STEM education as you were growing up, and and what are your suggestions and recommendations to parents and families who might be listening to this podcast and want to encourage their child in the same direction?
1: Yeah, I think it's never too early to get your child exposed to um, STEM um, kind of programs, um, I would think that uh, you know at an early age I, I was had the opportunity to uh, be involved in kind of an accelerated after school math program, um, which really piqued my interest and uh, made me excited for math in the classroom. Um, I think that there are certainly more concerted efforts to get um, young girls and boys um, and uh, people that previously are and currently are underrepresented in those fields interested in in uh, STEM. And I don't know that all those programs were occurring when I was a child, but I'm su- I'm very excited that they they occur now. I think that um, just allowing your child to know that this is a possibility, that these opportunities are out there, um, and, hey, people that look like you do these jobs is the is the first step. Um, it's hard to want to become something that you've never actually seen, um, and so representation is super important. Um, in terms of what can happen on a, on a larger scale, I think companies have to take um, diversity, equity, and inclusion seriously and make sure that their staff um, looks and is representative of the clientele that they serve.
0: You've reached such a high level of success, but Are there still obstacles you encounter despite your academic and professional achievements?
1: I think um, the obstacles that I encounter now... um I think that I see them as opportunities for education, honestly. Um, You know, we're at a place where this has become a a hot topic, which is a good thing. It's Mm -hmm. a topic that that everybody wants to discuss um, and that is at the forefront of, um, you know, Fortune 500 companies' minds. Um, So I think that those of us that are afforded the platform have a responsibility um, to, um, in a responsible manner, discuss these topics. Um, and bring forth the change that we want to see.
0: And why orthopedic surgery? What piqued your interest?
1: I've always been kind of like mechanical in my thinking um, and very linear and uh, orthopedic surgery at its purest form is fixing fractures and um, kind of restoring normal function Um, and so we typically do that with uh, hardware with plates and screws um, and the opportunity to fix these complex problems with Um, kind of linear thinking and and, um, contract work, if you will, very uh, manual labor uh, really appealed to me.
0: Dr. Henderson, can you describe what a typical day is like for you? And I'm sure your days vary depending on your schedule and your your patient load, but can you give us an idea of what an orthopedic surgeon does?
1: Absolutely. I have two different types of days. I have clinic days and then I have operating room days. Um, My day typically starts around 430 regardless of of, of whether I'm going to clinic or to the operating room.
0: Wow, that's Um, that's dark and early. (laughs) Dark and really early.
1: Yeah, it's pretty early, but it starts that early, you know, because I do um, kind of the normal thing that a lot of people. I'm a I'm a pet parent, and so I, I uh-huh. to make sure that my dogs are fed and walked before I leave the house. Uh-huh. Um, and so I do that, and then I go ahead and make my way to the to the to the clinic. Um, and there's always administrative things to do first thing in the morning, and you know whether that's catching up on charts or preparing for the cases that I have for the day. Um, I'll do that. Um, grab something to eat and then head either to the operating room at 7.30 or to clinic at 8 o'clock. Um, and then clinic usually wraps up around 5, um, and then the operating room finishes when all the work is done, right? So that could be, you know, well into the night or that can be an early day. Um, thankfully, the way the system that we have here at Trident Medical Center has made it so that I have a fair, a fair work-life balance. Um, I think some people and uh, you know, myself included, can get confused and um, when you think work-life balance and you're thinking of something that's perfectly 50/50, right, I think that that's probably not necessarily realistic for more, most surgeons. Mm-hmm. Um, at different times in your life, one's going to be more prominent and prevalent than the other. And so as long as over time things even out, um, I think that's pretty good.
0: But I wonder if you experience moments of, of doubt. It seems as if you've done it all. I don't know what you would doubt. I mean, everything seems to be clicking on all cylinders.
1: Of course, of course. Everybody has doubt. I mean, I think that um, particularly during my my first year, I'm in my my third year of, of operating by myself and in, in my third year of my practice, and during the first couple of years, there's there's always those moments of, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm the last person in the line. You know, if I can't get this done, there's, there's no one else here. I got to get this done, you know. Um, and then you have to rest on your training and, and in your mind go back to a moment when you've seen something similar with one of your mentors or you, you go back and, and kind of figure out oh, you know, they trusted me with this. I've been prepared for this. I've done this, you know, your 10,000 hours, of, you know, this is this is what I do. I can figure this out. Um, so I think it, always going back and resting on your foundation and in your training is kind of how I get through those moments of doubt.
0: Do any cases that you can share with, you know, without disclosing any significant details um, stand out in your mind and perhaps you hold very close to your heart and in your memory?
1: Certainly, um, there's a case that occurred when I was in residency um, where there was a young gentleman that um, came in um, after a motor vehicle accident. He was driving home and uh, someone hit him head on and he broke both of his legs. And I remember it distinctly because I was on call that night as the, as the resident and I saw the patient and uh, met his fiance and they were supposed to get married six weeks later. Um, I'm at the family and I can remember them huddling around him and praying before he went to the operating room. Um, unfortunately this, this patient didn't make it out of the hospital, um, and, uh, he passed away due to uh, a blood clot and it, uh, he stays with me, um, and I remember him, um, because of all the promise that he had and the things that he, you know, is unable to achieve, um, And so experiences like that are what spur you to create processes and and improve processes to ensure that that doesn't happen to to patients in the future.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I'm I'm sure that was very difficult, and that story will stay with me forever. So thank you for sharing that, and also thank you for being determined um, to continue to do good work and to improve the lives of others. I'm sure your your parents are very proud and always very happy to introduce you. What What's your the reaction of your family and, and maybe close friends about your achievement? I mean, how do they respond to you? And I, I know that requires that you probably blush about that, but what do they say? <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> um, No one's more proud than someone's mom, right? There's, right. Your mom is always... of just beaming and so excited about um, everything that you've accomplished because they've been there throughout throughout the the entire process. Um, And my parents certainly um, have been and and are very proud of me. Um, But I think it's I think it's so rewarding and um, to see them excited about everything that I've been able to accomplish because it's some small amount of payback for all the um, hours and uh, attention and time they put into me when I was younger. So uh, it's certainly rewarding for me to be able to kind of repay that. But it's also refreshing to have friends who, who just know you as Shasta.
0: Oh, that's great. What is next for you? I'm sure you still have goals, though you have reached this level of success. There are probably things that you still want to do.
1: Absolutely, there's, there's a long list. Um, but um, immediately I, I, I see the need and uh, the area that I serve. Um, I think that um, this certainly is an underserved population here um, in the surround uh, around Trident Medical Center and, and I'm excited to be a part of uh, a wonderful and powerful and, ex- and um, devoted team um, to take care of uh, the patients here, um, the trauma patients here more specifically. Um, I'd like to see in the future a concerted effort towards um, increasing health literacy in the community um, as well as ensuring that uh, I don't have to just solely focus on the x-rays and taking care of the bones and fixing the bones, but also um, helping people to understand how they find themselves in, in different predicaments or, or as a vulnerable population um, that, that ends up in my operating room. Um, what aspects of their life led them to here, or decisions that they made led them to this this time period, and how can I intervene to, to kind of prevent and break the cycle. So that's, that's what I'm working on now.
0: That's a lot of work, but you certainly seem equipped to handle it. Dr. Shasta Henderson, thank you so much for spending time with me and sharing a little bit about your life and, and your goals and, and what inspires you. So we wish you the very best. You are doing great things in the community, and we wish you well. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much, ma'am.
0: That's it for this episode of Let's Talk. Let's Talk is produced by Eric Johnson. I'm the host, Carolyn Murray. We welcome your comments and advice on our podcast, So please write a review and share the link with others. Thanks again for listening to Let's Talk. Goodbye until the next time.